Looking for a Home from Orphan Train Rider, One Boy's True Story by Andrea Warren. Between 1854 and 1930, more than 200,000 children rode orphan trains in this country. These trains were part of a program that found homes for children who were orphans or whose parents could not take care of them. Most of the riders came from large cities in the east. The trains took them to other parts of the country where interested families lined up to choose the children they wanted. Lee Nailing and his brother Leo were taken to an orphanage because their mother had died and their father could not take care of his seven children. Lee felt like a prisoner in the orphanage, often suffering from hunger because of a lack of food. Having his meal taken away was a frequent punishment when Lee misbehaved. Lee was excited about going on his first train ride, but just before the train left, his father came with Gerald his three-year-old brother. Lee was told to keep his two brothers with him and to write to let his father know where they settled. When Lee learned that he was on an orphan train, he was angry. He started thinking about getting away to find his father. As Lee's train continued its journey, his worrying increased. How would he ever find his way back to New York? What was going to happen to him and his brothers? As always, whenever the train stopped so that the children could get some exercise, people gathered to watch. After a few days on the train, the matron told the children that there would be stops in several towns. In these towns, people would have the chance to select children, but none of the children was sure what this meant. Lee tried not to think about it. The next day, the train stopped at a town, and instead of being allowed to play, the children were marched to a church and seated on the stage. A crowd of people began to talk to them, touch them, and ask them questions. None of the children had written medical records, but as the children quickly learned, people had their own ways of deciding if a child was healthy and strong. Lee remembers a farmer in overalls coming up to him and feeling his muscles. Then the man stuck his hand in Lee's mouth to feel his teeth. Lee forced himself not to bite the man. When Lee glared at him, the farmer moved away. That day, Lee saw a small boy in the group being led away from his older brother. The little boy was screaming. I knew that all the family those boys had was each other, Lee says, just like my brothers and me. And I knew this was going to happen to us. The amazing thing was that it hadn't yet. We were healthy youngsters and someone looking for workers was bound to pick one of us sooner or later. There didn't seem to be a thing in the world I could do to prevent it. I got back on the train that day with such a sense of dread that I felt like the world was going to end. As far as I was concerned, that might be the best thing that could happen. Lee and his brothers had been on the train more than a week when it stopped in Clarksville, Texas. Of the 50 children who had started the trip, 25 had not yet been chosen by people in towns along the way. As much as... Lee had liked the train in the beginning, he was tired of the swaying motion, the grim matron, and the same food. He was exhausted, dirty, and in need of a haircut. 
He stepped from the train and looked around at a vast, empty horizon. The soil was reddish. There were few trees, and the late winter air felt warm and dry. Texas was as different from upstate New York as Lee could have imagined. As usual, a crowd was there to meet the train and walk with the children as they made their way to an old hotel on the main street of the little town. Everyone spoke with an unfamiliar accent, saying, Y'all, and howdy. At the hotel, the children were told to sit on chairs lined up on the stage. Lee, Leo, and Gerald sat together. Just like before, people began to look them over. Then a man and his wife stopped in front of Gerald. The woman spoke softly to Gerald, and he smiled at her. When she opened her arms, he went right to her. Without a word to Lee and Leo, the couple walked away, holding Gerald. Lee wanted to run after them, to stop them, or to ask them to take him and Leo too. But he knew that the moment he stood up, he would be ordered to sit down. Look at the photo at the top of the next page and read the caption. Lee's little brother Gerald was about five when this picture was taken. He choked back tears while the couple signed papers in the back of the room. As they started to leave, Gerald realized what was happening and screamed out for Lee and Leo. Lee forced himself to try to block out the sound. Then a gray-haired couple stood in front of Leo and began talking to him. Lee remembers thinking, now I'm going to lose Leo. And sure enough, the couple asked Leo if he would like to come home with them. But this time, something different happened. Leo gazed into the woman's kind face and said, I want my brother to go too. Lee could hardly believe it when the man and woman looked at each other and nodded. They motioned both boys to go with them. The couple told the committee that their last name was Rogers, and they had nine grown children. They had planned to take only one child, but were willing to try both boys. Outside, Leo and Lee climbed into the Rogers Model T Ford. As they drove into the Texas countryside, Lee felt almost hopeful. Gerald was gone, but Lee would find him. No strangers were going to raise any of them. They would get back to New York. In the meantime, at least he and Leo were finally off the train and away from the matron. The brothers were together, and this couple seemed nice. Lee hoped they would get good food to eat at the Rogers' house. He was sick of sandwiches and fruit. After a few days with Mr. and Mrs. Rogers, Leo acted as though he had lived with them all his life. He called them Papa and Mama and became a favorite with their... grown children. Lee hung back, not ready to trust any adult. He kept a careful eye on Leo. Unable to forget his experience at the orphanage, he ate his meals very fast so no one could take his food away. By the end of the week, he had begun to relax. He and Leo had spent hours exploring the farm, fishing in the pond, and chasing the chickens and hogs. Mrs. Rogers had gotten both of them cleaned up soaking them in the bathtub for a long time. She had washed their clothes and was talking about taking them into town for haircuts. Lee knew he needed one. His hair was so long, it hung in his eyes. When he heard a knock on the front door exactly one week after he had arrived, he thought nothing of it. 
But when Mrs. Rogers opened the door and the matron from the train came in, I panicked. What was she doing there? If there was one person on this earth I didn't want to see, it was that horrible woman who had stolen my pink envelope. Mrs. Rogers took Leo by the hand and told him to come with her. They left Lee alone with the matron. All I remember her saying was, get your things together. Mr. and Mrs. Rogers have decided they can only keep one boy, and they've settled on Leo. I've arranged for another couple to take you. I told her I didn't want to go, says Lee, but she said I had no choice in the matter. The next thing I knew, I was in her car. She wasn't even going to let me say goodbye to Leo. But as the car started to pull away, Leo came around the corner of the house. He saw me with my face pressed to the window, and he started to scream. Lee watched helplessly as Leo ran after the car. The last thing Lee saw as the car left the farmyard was Mrs. Rogers holding Leo and comforting him. By that evening, Lee had been left with an elderly farm couple who hardly seemed to know he was there. I was as bitter as I could be, says Lee. The only thing I was going to allow myself to think about was getting back to my father. It didn't matter how many places they took me. During a dinner of greasy fried greens, no one said a word. Then the farmer told Lee to come along. It was time to bed down the hens and chicks. Lee followed the farmer to the chicken yard, where he explained how the brood hens and their babies went into their wire cages at night for protection. During the day, they walked around outside looking for food. Look at the photo at the top of the page and read the caption. Leo and his new family. I like those little chicks, Lee remembers. They were tiny and innocent and very soft to the touch. The old man didn't seem to mind when I picked them up and stroked them. When Lee woke up the next morning, he wanted to see the chicks. He pulled on his clothes, sneaked out of the house, and went to the chicken yard. By the time he reached the wire cages, his shoes were soaked from the heavy dew. Since the farmer had said the chicks spent the day outside, Lee began pulling up the cage doors so the clucking hens and their babies could come out. At breakfast, he said nothing about the chicks. He followed the farmer out to the chicken yard when it was time to start chores, eager to show what he had done. But when they got to the cages, there in the dewy grass were the baby chicks, all dead. The old man frowned at him. Did you open the cages, he asked angrily. Don't you know them chicks drowned in the early dew? They wasn't to come out till the sun dried it up. Lee was horrified that he had killed the fuzzy creatures. He had just been trying to help. The farmer made Lee bury the chicks and would barely speak to him. The woman, as usual, was silent. Lee was miserable. When the farmer and his wife could not see him, he cried about what he had done. Late that afternoon, when the matron pulled up in her car and told him to get in, he did not even look back. He sat silent in the back seat as the car bounced over the rough Texas roads. I was really upset at what was happening to me, Lee recalls. I felt terrible about killing the chicks, but I hadn't known any better. I didn't even care where I was being taken. I was nine years old, and life stunk. By the time the matron left him with another family, in the little village of Manchester, Texas, Lee had no hope that things would work out. 
He barely looked around at the large, comfortable house, nor would he smile at tall, friendly Ben Nailing. Ben's wife, Ollie, was short and plump and had kind eyes. She took Lee into her warm kitchen and gave him apples and milk, but he ate very little. I just wasn't hungry, he says. I was willing to give them credit for at least acting interested in me, but the interest was all theirs. As far as I was concerned, the sooner I could get out of there, the better. It was growing dark as they showed Lee around the grounds and the barns and introduced him to the horses. Ben pointed to the woodpile and asked Lee to stack some wood for the kitchen stove on the back porch. Lee was immediately suspicious. I remembered that farmer who felt my muscles and teeth. It looked to me like the nailings thought they'd found themselves a chore boy. I turned to him and said, Do it yourself. I didn't come here to work for you. I think my voice was really angry because it sort of surprised me. They both looked shocked. Ben grabbed me by the arm and gave me a hard swat on the behind. He said, Now... Look here, boy. If you're going to be part of this family, you'll pull your weight. That stove has to be fed, and that's to be your job. And you don't ever talk to your elders like that. I think your disrespect went too far. Well, that was too much for me. I refused to talk to either one of them. I figured I had nothing to lose because I wasn't going to be there in the morning. That was for sure. I meant to run away that very night. Later that evening, Ollie showed him around his new bedroom. Go to bed now, and we'll get a fresh start in the morning, she said, smiling. Lee looked around in awe. He'd never had a room of his own before. Often he had shared his bed, but he still was suspicious. I decided it was just a trick to soften me up before they put me to work, and I was determined I wouldn't fall for it. He climbed onto the big feather bed and sank down into its softness. Ollie came back and sat by him. She said she knew he was tired and she hoped he would sleep well. Then she tucked the covers around him and gave him a kiss on the cheek before she left the room. I couldn't remember the last time anyone had kissed me, Lee says. It rekindled a memory in me, maybe of my mother. I started to cry, and I buried my head in the pillow so they wouldn't hear me. I think I cried half the night. The next morning, he awoke to Ben, shaking him and telling him to get up for breakfast. His bedroom was flooded with sunshine. I was so surprised that it was already morning, Lee says. I had planned to sneak out after the house was quiet, but I felt better after a good night's sleep and figured I could run away the next night. I got dressed and went to the kitchen, following my nose to all these delicious smells. Ollie greeted him and told him they were going to eat in the dining room. We only eat there on special occasions, she said. The table was heaped with ham, bacon, eggs, grits, biscuits, potatoes, jams, and jellies. Lee thought company must be coming, but saw only three place settings. After Ben motioned for him to sit, Lee immediately grabbed a biscuit and started to take a bite out of it. But Ollie stopped him. We say grace first, she said, telling him to bow his head and close his eyes. I did what she told me, but I was wishing she would hurry up so I could eat. 
That food smelled so good, Lee says. Then I started to listen to her. She was thanking God out loud for the beautiful day and the recovered health of a friend who had been sick and for the bounty of food we were about to enjoy. Then she said an amazing thing. Father, thank you for sending our new son to us, for the privilege of allowing us to raise him. We will try to be good parents to him. I'm sure my jaw dropped in amazement. Somebody was actually thankful I was there. I had always felt like a bother to adults, but this woman was acting like she was glad I was there. I stole a glance at Ben. He smiled at me and said, We're happier with this, son. Now let's eat. Lee stuffed himself. He could not remember when food had tasted so good. The more he ate, the more pleased the nailings seemed to be. After breakfast, they said they would take him to the store they owned to get him some new clothes, and then to the barber shop for that much-needed haircut. Lee clearly remembers the walk down the lane into the village, Ben and Ollie on either side of him. They stopped at each of the six houses along the way, and at each one they introduced Lee as our new son, and said how glad they were that he was with them. By the time Lee was fitted for new clothes and had his hair cut, he already knew some of the villagers by name and had met several children his own age. By the end of the day, after another home-cooked meal, he had decided to give the new arrangement a chance, at least for a little while. The Nailing's house was beginning to feel like home. Look at the photo at the top of the page and read the caption. Ben, Lee, and Ollie Nailing. About the author, 